You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Gordon Brown is thinking about calling an early election. Among the reasons to believe he should do so is the vulnerability of the UK to a housing meltdown similar to that in the US. Since the run on Northern Rock was merely an indirect consequence of US turmoil, what would happen if a crisis were homegrown? Nobody knows. However confident he is about the UK economy, the Prime Minister might be wise not to wait to find out. Why might the UK go the same way as the US? The answer is simply that it has very similar vulnerabilities. House prices are high by any standards. In the second quarter of 2007, household savings was only 3.1% of disposable income. As house prices have soared, so has residential investment which has reached 10% of disposable income, up from just 5.5% six years ago. And the overall household financial deficit is, in consequence, at the record level of 7% of disposable income. Indeed, in several respects, the UK looks more exposed to a housing-induced correction than the US. Between the first quarter of 1996 and its peak 10 years later, the Case-Shiller Index of U.S. house prices rose by 127% in real terms, while the FT's price index for the U.K. had risen by 144% by the second quarter of this year. According to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development in Paris, the U.S. price-to-rent ratio for housing was 36% above its long-run average in 2006, but the U.K.'s was 66% higher than its long-run average in that year. U.K. mortgage debt was 126% of gross domestic product at the end of last year, against 104% in the U.S. Total U.K. household debt was 164% of GDP at the end of 2006, against just 140% in the U.S. And, not least, the UK's ratio of household debt to GDP jumped by 50 percentage points between 2000 and 2006, while the U.S. ratio rose by just 37 points over the same period. If U.S. households are sinking in debt, UK households seem to be drowning in it. All this strongly suggests the possibility of house price weakness and a sharp reduction in the household financial deficit. While corporate balance sheets are strong, business investment would surely weaken if household consumption did. This would seem a recipe for a slowdown, possibly a recession. In the context of a weak housing market, lower interest rates would work more through the exchange rate and improvements in net exports than through borrowing. The impact of such easing would be modest, and more important, slow to arrive. Moreover, the state of the public sector finances would not permit much fiscal expansion, provided the government stuck to its, admittedly self-imposed, rules for a balanced current budget over the cycle and net public debt at below 40% of GDP. For the UK, then, very much depends on the sustainability of the current soaring house prices and the consequences of any correction. Recent analyses from Goldman Sachs and David Miles of Morgan Stanley throw interesting light on these questions. The low real and nominal interest rates of recent years do justify higher prices of housing. But, argues Mr Miles, expectations of further price rises seem to explain a bigger part of the rise in UK prices than of US prices. To put it bluntly, the UK bubble is even bigger than the US one. 
Moreover, adds Goldman Sachs, if it is the overall balance between demand and supply rather than lower interest rates that is supposed to explain the exceptionally big jump in UK prices, the rise in rents and in house prices should be similar. That is to say, scarcity should increase rents and house prices equally. Yet, in fact, net rental yields have almost halved over the past decade, a substantially bigger decline than that in real interest rates. Goldman Sachs concludes that house prices must fall by a good 20% for the historic relationship between rental yields and real interest rates to be restored. A sustained period of real house price falls is perfectly conceivable. That has happened in Germany and Japan over the past decade or more. With low inflation, that would mean falling nominal prices and so much negative equity. The impact could be far worse than in the early 1990s when high inflation generated much of the real fall in house prices. Nobody knows what such a correction would do to household spending. In theory, it might do nothing, since higher house prices do not, contrary to much idiotic popular wisdom, make society as a whole a jot better off. But the negative impact on spending by the heavily indebted is quite likely to be both bigger and more immediate than the positive impact on those who find housing cheaper. Moreover, there is little doubt that weaker house prices would lower investment in house building. The combined impact is likely to be strongly negative. Another Anglo-Saxon spending and debt machine would bite the dust. Is such an outcome certain? No, but it seems likely. Will it be soon? Nobody knows, since the timing of market corrections is inherently uncertain. What would happen to the UK economy during a lengthy period of stagnant or even falling real prices of housing is an intriguing academic question. For the incumbent politician, however, it is a nightmare to be avoided at all costs. Mr Brown may not have all the time he wants. An election now might at least postpone his day of reckoning. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.